Welcome to episode four of the Bird Bros Podcast. Thank you for listening and tuning in with us for another episode. I'm Rowan Brown, and tonight I'm joined by T. Little, Cadis, and A.V. How y'all doing tonight, fellas? What up, man? What's up, y'all? What's up, doing what's up? good, doing good. 3-0, and oh, and it feels good to be 3-0. and oh. Another win, this time over the Dallas Cowboys in comeback fashion. Uh, it's just a great win to see the guys come back in the second half after getting demolished, um, you know, <laughs> the D-line getting demolished in that first half. Trent, I, I know we were texting back and forth. You weren't too encouraged, even though we did get the win. What were your thoughts on the game, man? Yeah, man, I wasn't encouraged. And it's funny because uh, last week I was saying I wanted, uh, like I wouldn't be satisfied unless we had a 10-point win. We had an 11-point win, but it it just didn't happen how I expected it to. Um, of course, like you were saying, this first half, that was a dismal first half, and it was basically a tell of two halves. Our defense was dismal in the first half. We allowed, uh, I think we had nine missed tackles in the first half, and Joseph Randall just ran all over our defense. So that was uh, terrible. But also, I think the the story for me of the game has been, or in this, se- um, in this season so far, has been um, this Kyle Shanahan and Matt Ryan duo. I feel like uh, Kyle Shanahan has really brought some uh, some life to our offense, or the zone blocking scheme. It's improved all all aspects of our game. You see, like you see, Julio is moving around a lot, and that so far has um, resulted in a historical year for him. If he stays on this track the whole season, it'll be a historical year. Matt Ryan is top ten in most of your um, the quarterback st- you know some quarterback stats, your quarterback rating and touchdowns. And he's also second in passing yards behind Brady. So I just feel like um, Shanahan is really uh, bringing life to this uh, offense, and that's much needed. Now, A.V., like Trent said, tell the two halves. We we were down. We were down. But we were down 28-17. We did stick in there after we had a bad first, first drive where we didn't get any yards or even score on that first drive. But we came back that second drive and, and, and scored. Were you encouraged? I know you seem to keep a level head as well and don't go too far on either side. What were your what was your opinion on this game and the tale of two halves? Honestly, just going by what we saw on Sunday, I think it is safe to say we've got a real football team. Um, I was extremely encouraged by seeing the game. Um, I didn't actually get a chance to catch the game live, so I've been watching it over the last couple of days. Uh, they look bad in the first half. We all look really bad. Um, but for them to not only start putting some points on the board, but they showed some fight. And a lot of times we've seen with the Falcons, they get down, or even if they have a big lead, they somehow give it up. Or if they get down, they never get back in the game, especially on the road. And they were down 28, you know, 14. There were shots of Dan Quinn getting into the guys on the sideline. I mean, they, they really looked bad. But for them to come back, score 25 straight points, um, first team in NFL history to go 3-0 and after trailing the fourth quarter of its first three games. For them to have that kind of performance, and I know it was without Dez and without Romo, but that was a game you would never see the Falcons win. So that was a huge win. I remember just after Sunday seeing a lot of Falcons fans out and about. So I'm very encouraged by that win because that was a game that they could have easily just, you know, tucked their tail, dropped their heads, and just took in the L. Um, but they fought back, and I think that's the sign of a team that really 
we're going to look back and we're going to say, man, this is when they really started to get it cooking because they look really good in that second half. So I'm extremely encouraged by what I saw. All right now, Cadis, I'm looking back at your matchup prediction last week. Uh, you can, everybody can find the matchups on birdbros.wordpress.com. You you said the key matchup would be Dallas's, Dallas's interior offensive line versus the Falcons' uh, D tackles. Now, we gave up a lot of yards. We gave up, uh, I'm looking here, it was 127 uh, net yards on the ground, or total yards on the ground. That that uh, we, we improved in the second half and, and stuffed the box a little bit, but what happened? Just tell us what happened defensively in that first half that that allowed us to just get ran all over. Well, Trent Trent hit the nail on the head earlier when he said missed tackles. That's really what it boiled down to. Um, of course, we can't blame it on the refs, and I'm not even going to try to play that card. But if we go to the first drive of the game, we had those uh, on the first run. Uh, Dallas had there were a couple of holes specifically one on William Moore that sort of sprung him loose for that run then Alford had the penalty and then the very next play uh, we had two guys in the backfield uh, Durant and it probably was Warlow I'm not sure offhand but we had two guys right there in the backfield that missed the tackle and let him run for 30 40 however many yards for the touchdown um, and over the course of that first half there was a lot of missed tackles if we would have made those tackles we would have made those stops and it would have been a whole different ball game uh from that point uh but with that the fact that we were ma- able to make those adjustments uh as the guys have said stuck in the game we came back not only from 28 14 we have to remember we were down 14 to nothing and then 21 to 7 so it wasn't just like you know when you watch the game it's like they come out, score early. They go literally three plays down the field, score. Okay, well, if, you know, we can get a good drive going, then, you know, we're, the game is fine. Three and out. They go right back down the field, score again, 14 to nothing. Mike Smith-led teams, um, a lot, you know, the over these past years, we would have lost the game. The game would have been over at that point. We don't come back that strongly, especially not having the – come back again and again. It's not just that we got down 14 and then we were able to come back. No, we got down 14 and stayed down 14 even when we did score. So for the fact of us to continue to persevere on offense and to continue to keep moving and then for the defense to have that complete 180 after those first couple of drives and really shut down Dallas to the point in the second half, we shut them out completely. Um, That turnaround – it, you know, it was ugly. Of course, I would never wish to start a game out 14 to nothing, but that turnaround was a thing of beauty. And what we saw of the offense and the defense makes me, like, giddy just to yeah. see what we're going to do the that rest one, of the yeah. year. That was, that was great, man. I, yeah, after watching the last few years, it's like we go down 14. This game is over. You might as well turn it off. If I wasn't a diehard fan, I, you know, turn off the TV and go, go do something else on a Sunday. But, you know, we made that comeback. We saw that we know that Tevin Coleman was out with the injury, but Devontae Freeman, man, your your boy from FSU, Trent, was just <laughs> he was amazing. Like four point seven yards per carry, hundred forty one yards total on the ground on thirty carries. He helped out in the passing game. He was our second leading receiver with five catches and, and fifty two yards. He was a workhorse. He was on the field the whole game. I know it was one might have been a few plays he was off the field. Um where where was that Teron Ward came on the field, but 
man, Devontae Freeman, like that's got to be our player of the game right there. He he spelled our starting running back. Awesome, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely with um Devontae, that was that was a breakout game for him, man. And I mean, we had our preconceived notions of what he was gonna be and you know what we were gonna get out of him uh, being the change of pace back behind Coleman. But we have to remember like last year he was a rookie and with the old regime, one, we didn't really play rookies like that. Two, the system wasn't necessarily catered to his strengths. So coming out of the gate, he was injured in the preseason. The first couple of games was his first game action, period. So for this to be his first career start, his first time really getting some action, it really makes me think we need to reevaluate what we have here. I mean, I'm of course, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, he's the second coming to Turner and he's going to go for 141 every game. But with that being said, if him and Coleman just – can do half of that every game then and give Matt that kind of running game. You got to think if we give today's Matt Ryan a running game as good as the one rookie Matt Ryan had, it's game over for the rest of the league right there. Yeah. And you got to you gotta think about it too. Think about who we did it against. I mean, Dallas came into the game number one run defense in the league, and we come into the game with an offensive line that even though they've shown some improvement in the first couple of games, it's the, the jury in some cases is still out as far as what they ultimately will be. So for him to come out and have the game that he had, like you said, uh, his first career start. So this is his first time actually getting the bulk load of the carries. And he held up in pass defense, too. He did a, a phenomenal job. And I think when he and Tevin get on the field at the same time, you got the potential of getting a really dynamic backfield, which we haven't had. I mean, it, it seems like forever since the time we've had two guys who can get their own whenever they want uh, in the backfield for us. So really, really impressed by him uh, Sunday as well. Yeah, I think I definitely think this was a, a coming out party for him. Like um, Kadis had mentioned uh, earlier, last year he didn't really receive the uh, carries or he didn't, he didn't even receive the opportunity. And even starting this year, the uh, first game of the season, he was coming off a hamstring injury. That's why Tevin Coleman was able to um, to do what he did on the uh, the first game. So now he has that opportunity to really be the feature back, and he really he showed that he's capable of doing that. And also, this was you were saying he was also the um, second uh, leader in receptions for the game. That's also key, also just because he can do he can do both for us. He can you don't know you have to watch him for the run and you have to play him for the uh, for the pass also. So. I, I, I really felt uh, comfortable with how he played. I, I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, definitely. That, that Devontae Freeman, like I said, player of the game for us there. And also, it's, it goes without saying, Julio Jones. I, I believe I heard a stat where he has the most catches through three games in NFL history. Is that – can anybody confirm yeah, that? I think he that's, yeah, that's, that's yeah. the case. I mean, the guy is unstoppable right now. He's just shown steady improvement. Even though, of course, he came in highly touted, but – he was a guy who made some drops on easy catches, easy routine plays, but now this guy is like a vacuum. He's getting a lot of targets every game, but he's bringing in a good percentage of them. I mean, Julio, man, this this tandem of Matt Ryan and Julio is going to be pretty good for the next couple of years. Hopefully it results in a, in a Super Bowl ring. And, of course, the stat that we've all heard is the, this is the third time we've been 3-0 in the past 20 or so years, 2004. 2012 were the last times we were 3-0 for the start of the season, and those both were NFC Championship 
uh, seasons. I don't know. We we, we don't want to jinx ourselves, but hey, man, that hopefully we can we can continue that. Now for the second week in a row, Roddy White didn't have any catches. He had one catch that was called back because of a penalty. I mean, is there let's let's bring it up again? Is Hank the number two, or is it like two A and two B, Roddy and uh, Hankerson? I think at this point, Roddy is is getting phased out of the offense completely. I mean, I think if you look at it, you know, you, you're talking about one, t- maybe two targets. I know we talked about some of the penalties that wiped those away. Um, if you look at the, the game against the Giants, where he also didn't get a catch. Coming into that Giants game, he had had a catch, and I think it was 160 straight games. So yeah. to go from that into the last two where he doesn't get one catch, it, to me it signals the end of an era, unfortunately. Like, I know he'll probably have a better game against Houston, but I, I can't for the life of me understand how he's gone from debatable number two to he's not even getting looks like – Matt is locking into Julio like he was doing for Tony Gonzalez as far as that is the first read that he's looking, he's staring him down. I mean, there were some questionable throws Matt had in that first half, too, that could have been picked off. We're looking for Julio, and it just he's not even giving Roddy any kind of attention like that. So I think it's part of the quarterback, but I, I think it's part of the way this offense is run. And I do think Roddy is on closer to his way out than he is getting back into this offense. Yeah, I think – I think we have – I think we don't have a number two wide receiver. We have Julio and we have some threes right now, and I don't honestly think we need a number two just because, like you were saying, um, the like Julio is becoming uh, Matt Ryan's safety blanket. I've seen a lot of times this season where we've been in the um, run formation, and if Matt Ryan doesn't see what he likes, he's going to the slant to Julio, which is an easy six, seven-yard uh, game. So Julio is becoming his um, – his safety valve. The also the only thing that the only problem I could see that um that happens from this I, I feel like Roddy White is one is the um, stereotypical diva wide receiver. So he's um he's been saying the right thing so far, but I don't know how long he will con- you know continue to not stir up any you know what I'm saying any locker room commotion or anything because he is that diva wide receiver. Well, see, I got I got to disagree with that, man. Roddy has been a team player since almost since day one. When he first came in the league, I was one of the first to say he was a bust and he wasn't doing anything. But once um like 2007 rolled around, uh, Joe Horn really took him under his wing when he was here, as well as um Paul Petrino, uh, Bobby Petrino's brother, when he was, I believe, the wide receivers coach or involved with the team at that point, really got on him. And I'd say ever since then, over this entire span of this entire era, Roddy's been nothing but that A1 guy. I mean, when you look at the offense, you can say that Hankerson's getting more targets than him, but Roddy had about 20 more snaps on the field than Hankerson did. Hankerson might be getting targets, but it's not as if Roddy's not getting on the field. Roddy's on the field, it just so happens he's not getting those targets. As well as if you look at Shanahan's offense, Shanahan's offense is like number one wide receiver dominant to an absurd degree. If you look back at the Texans' offenses when he was there, Andre Johnson was getting almost every pass. Even if you you know want to say, okay, Andre Johnson, future Hall of Fame receiver, when he was in Washington, Pierre Garçon was getting crazy amounts of targets. That's a product of the system. 
So, you know, it's not just the fact of, oh, well, they didn't really have a number two receiver. We had better number two receivers than they did, but that doesn't change the system that's in place. The system is designed for that number one receiver to get the mass majority of the passes, and we just so happen to have the best receiver in the game, so it's going hand in hand. If we had a worse receiver, if we had a Garcon level number one, let's say hypothetically, then maybe Roddy would get more passes because Matt would have to look to his second option. But a lot of times, Matt's going straight to Julio because he's open or he's in a position to make that play. So, I, you know, again, Hankerson's getting catches. It might be a situation where Hankerson is going to, you know, end up with as many, if not more, catches than Roddy throughout the season. But I don't look at that so much as an indictment on Roddy as, um, you know, that's a byproduct of the offense and what we have in place. But it's certainly Roddy's not going to make a fuss about it. Roddy wants a ring more than anything else, just as bad as anybody else on the team. Yeah, so is it – go go, go ahead, uh, A.V. I mean – Yeah, I mean, I was going to say I think – like, to me, I think Rod, you know, and Roddy's always been kind of outspoken. You know, he's talked a lot on, on Twitter about different things, got into some trouble on Twitter about a lot of different subjects and issues. So he's a he's a guy since he's been with the Falcons. He's going to be outspoken. I think with the Falcons being 3-0, there's a lot of good momentum. There's a lot of positive spirits about everything. I don't think you're going to hear Roddy pipe up unless this – unless it not only continues, but the team starts to lose. I think he's going to be – hey, I'm okay if I'm not getting catches as long as we win. But if the Falcons lose a game or two that they're not supposed to, you might start seeing some subtweets about this situation. I, I, I'm not sure if I you know, completely um, agree that it's just a, a byproduct of the system. I think, I think that there is an intention, at least from what I've seen these last couple games, where he, they're just not making a, a issue or making a point to get him the ball. So – Hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully, we, you know, Roddy's the number one receiver in Falcons history, so I'd hate for him to go out um, without getting the respect that he deserves. But it just doesn't seem like there's much of a focus or emphasis on getting him involved, whether that's, you know, um, he's doing a great job with pass blocking. You know, he's helped spring some of the big runs Devontae had coming to his side. You know, as Cadis uh, mentioned, you know, he's done a great job, um, you know, being on the field for a lot of different snaps. So he's been an integral part, but he's not getting the football. So, I just wonder how much longer that'll fester um, as the season progresses. But I, I do think there's a change in the guard with uh, regards to Roddy out there. I mean, and I think I look at it like this also is it's been two games. I don't know how long we, we we'll discuss or how long, how much longer we'll talk about it before it's like, okay, is he officially done? Because two games in a row, we'll see next game. The, the, the Texans have a okay secondary. They have a young first round cornerback in Kevin Johnson. And we'll see next game. I'm thinking they're gonna initially and um, purposely target him. You know, gotta get get him going because he's still a key part. He's he's not washed. You know, he's yeah, I don't think he's. I think, well, I know. Um, I was listening to one of Matt Ryan's interviews, and he was saying on that last touchdown to Julio, he said he had, he also had Roddy White open in the back of the end zone, but he just went to Julio because of course, like that's his like that's the safety. Uh, Val, right? That's a safety. Yeah, that's his safety net. It's Julio. So he's like, even though Roddy White isn't receiving those targets, he's open. Like he's open, but he's he's like Matt Ryan is still not going to him. So I, I do right. think this will be an issue long term if it's if it's the same if um, Roddy White is, is doing is this, if it's the same production. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's let's switch over to around the NFC. Cadis is handling that segment this week. Tell us um, what happened. In the NFC South this week. Well, 
first first of all, it was um, Panthers and Aints were playing each other this week. Um, so yet again, uh, Aints had another divisional game uh, that he lost. It was 27-22, but that's a game without Drew Brees. So uh, Luke McCown of, of Verizon commercial fame came in the game, and he was 31 for 38 for 310 yards. So the fact that he was able to put up those numbers on this Carolina defense and had New Orleans in the game um, until the fourth quarter, really, um, third, fourth quarter, that that's really sort of, I look at that as more of an indictment on the Panthers than, than really on the Aints because you're going without your, your, your Hall of Fame quarterback and uh, they were able to hang in there with him. I mean, uh, Cam had a better game than he did last week against the Texans. Statistically, he was 20 for 31 uh, 315 and two touchdowns. So he had a, a pretty good game, a great game, really. Uh, but the fact that the Aints were able to uh, hang in there with him, uh, you know, divisional game, it's always going to be rough. But the best news of the week outside of us being 3-0 and is the fact that the Aints are 0-3. So mm-hmm. that's all good. Um, then on the flip side of that, the uh, Bucks were playing the Panthers' opponent from last week, the Texans and lost pretty much due to their kicker. They lost 19-9 after their kicker missed three field goals and an extra point, which would have been 10 points worth of kicks in the second half. Um, so Texans kicker himself mixed, missed the extra point. So, you know, who knows how that game might have played out. But Winston, he had a decent game again, 17-36, 261 for a touchdown, um, continuing to get experience. Uh, continue to make moves. It's just unfortunate, you know, your kicker missing kicks like that. There's not too much more you can do. Um, another reason why we should be thankful we have such a clutch kicker in Matt Bryant that, you know, people are actually missing extra points out here now because of these new rules. And there's never a point where Matt Bryant steps on the field that any of us really question if he's going to make the kick. Um, one thing to take out of the uh, game, considering that we're coming up on the Texans, uh, you know, Ryan Malik continue to get more comfortable. It seems like it's going to be his job going forward. Uh, he was 24 for 39 for 228. Uh, Alfred Blue, their running back, was able to get off 139 yards himself um, against the Bucks defense. Now, in addition to that, they got Foster coming back this upcoming week. So, you know, who knows how the Texans are going to go uh, from there. We'll cover that a little further. But the Bucks continue to make progress and, uh, you know, We'll see how they go, but they might be able to, uh, you know, push above the Aints for the rest of the season in the division. All right. Thanks for that. Thanks for telling us what happened around the division. Now we go to one of our favorite segments, probably our most favorite, and that's uh, however many reasons. There are millions, as I always say. Millions of reasons the Saints suck. What you got for us this week, A.V.? All right. All right. Reason number 6,789. Why the Saints suck, what up, woke dat nation. Um, I know we have a lot of Saints fans out there tuned in, so the I'd like to sippers. welcome them to the broadcast. To the gumbo sippers out there, man. It's for you. Uh, <laughs> Sunday, the Saints went on the road, as Cadence uh, was just talking about. They went up to Carolina. They kept it competitive. You got to give them that. But they ultimately lost 22-27 to to the Carolina Panthers. With the loss, the Saints are now 0-3 marking the third time the Saints have gone 0-3 under Sean Payton, and each time they've gone 0-3, they have not qualified for the playoffs. Another fun fact, the Saints went 0-4 in the preseason as well. So the Saints pretty much 0-4 for the whole year. Um, (laughs) So 
just had not been the, the start that they were looking for, which is always good news for us. The Saints host Dallas because you got to also remember from last week, the Saints have that uh, winless streak going on at home. So they host the Cowboys on Sunday at the Superdome. So that uh, is our next reason why the Saints, number 6,789, why they suck. And that's going to be the worst Sunday night game ever. You got well, Luke I heard Drew might be coming back, so maybe, you know, we see Drew Brees. Hopefully. If not, it's Luke McCown versus Brandon Whedon. Wow. Ooh. Get your, get your <laughs> popcorn ready. <laughs> that might be a burnt popcorn. <laughs> Good, dude. <laughs> All right, Trent, what you got behind enemy lines? What's going on up there? Up 85 in the 704, man. What's up? And they actually got a lot, but just to uh, piggyback on what Cadis was uh, talking about with the game against the Saints, uh, the, like I thought it would be a convincing win, but Luke McCown actually he held around. He um he was he had, he had 38 attempts on 300 yards. So while while it, while the stats seemed like he actually had a good game, I mean he averaged about six seven yards a pass. So they really that's what the Panthers defense really wanted from him. And also, um, Josh Norman made a, a hell of an interception to uh, close that game on Sunday. So um, I'm actually looking forward to the Josh Norman-Julio uh, matchup at the end of the season. I just, like, Josh Norman just continues to talk, continues to talk. It's his contract year. So, I'm, I mean, I understand it. He's trying to get money. So do whatever you got to do. But I'm just looking forward to that matchup, and I just can't wait for Julio to kill him. And... Um, <laughs> Actually, the uh, the Panthers also moved up in the power rankings. They moved up to number nine, so they're three spots behind the Falcons. So hopefully that gives a little bit of the fans, I mean the Panthers fans, some type of hope. And also there's um there's two main stories in Carolina at the moment. Um, yesterday they traded for Jared Allen, and that's um that's so that's a big deal. They lost um Charles Johnson to injury, like he's on they placed him on injury reserve today. And I'm not expecting him to come back to week 12, like Thanksgiving. But the um, the trade for Jared Allen was a they traded a six round pick, so it's a like a low risk, high re- potential high reward because they're paying them less than a million dollars also. So that could be a big move for the Panthers. It's also surprising because well, just being here, I was like I know that the Panthers organization they don't really spend they don't spend money and they don't really go after um, like free agents or they don't make a lot of trades. So that was a, a surprising move for the Panthers. That shows that they really feel like they have a, a team that can contend. So the Falcons and Panthers will be on a collision course to um, to win this NFC South. The other big news um, coming out of uh, Carolina country is, I, I know all of you have heard I've heard about it. It's probably a national story now. It's the Cam Newton and Ed Hockley uh, beef, which Cam accused of Ed Hockley of a. Uh, Saying that he's not old enough to get the call, like get a get a uh, was it personal foul, yeah. yeah, personal foul mm-hmm. slash roughing the passer call. So now they're trying to um, like local media is hoping it blows over, but I'm thinking this is going to be another deflate gate that'll be pushed out, that'll be prolonged the entire season, just because of of course you're questioning the NFL integrity. So I'm waiting to hear what um, what comes from that. I'm pretty sure this is not just one. Um, not this is not just going to end. Like like I said, well, like I was saying before, because it is an integrity issue. So I want to see what happens with that because you have Ed Hockley, which is probably the most popular NFL referee ever, and you have you know what I'm saying a, a prized quarterback. 
So I'm looking forward to that. Um, in other news, in other injury news, Luke Keekley hasn't. He's still in, in um, going through the concussion protocol. So maybe tomorrow you should hear something. To um, you will find out if he's playing or not, because of course they have to make that decision soon. Jericho Cotchery, which is one of one of the many terrible wide receivers on their roster, he has a high ankle sprain, and he's not expected to be back. Um, probably it's like two weeks. They have a bye next week, the following week, so he gets to um, he'll probably sit out um, next week also. And Thomas Davis also had an injury last Sunday against the Saints. And here's his day-to-day. They're not expecting him to miss any games, but he is, um, he'll go undergo an MRI um, tomorrow. Okay. So so that's what it's looking like up there. I'm sure the fans are still pretty optimistic. They're going through some injuries, but, you know, we, we don't see them until the end of the season. You know, it looks like a two-team race, Panthers and Falcons at this point. Yeah, I can't definitely. see the other squads really touching us. You know, a lot of games left to play, but we'll see. So let's let's break into the last segment, and that's the preview of the Texans game next week. Now, I watched Hard Knocks uh, during the offseason, during the preseason, and I got a feel for that squad, and I like the stories of seeing players making it and whatnot. And the big storyline was, of course, the quarterback battle, which was between Brian Hoyer and Ryan Mallett, two middle-of-the-road quarterbacks, guys who probably, who probably should be backups, but – you know, the Texans had those guys. Brian Hoyer, Hoyer originally won the battle, started week one. Ryan Mallett replaced him late in that first game, and he started week two and also uh, week three, and they won the game, as we mentioned earlier. So, you know, just like last week, we were facing a backup quarterback, a, a lower-tier quarterback. Cadiz, what do you see the Falcons doing this week defensively and even offensively to exploit this team, we know their defense. They have some some big names. Have J.J. Watt, the most feared player in the league, probably. What do you see us doing to get this W on Sunday? Well, the fir- first thing we got to do is we gotta we gotta play better against the run. I mean, we were able to make the adjustments and fix it in the second half, and I'm and I'm thankful for that. Uh, but at the same time, we can't let that happen. Um, in the first place. So when we're going up against the Texans, they're similar to the Cowboys in the sense of they want to rely on the running game, um, you know, control the ball and keep the ball out of their quarterback's hands pretty much. Uh, Like I said earlier, Alfred Blue in the last game had 139 yards on uh, 31 carries good for four and a half yards a pop. So he's uh, had a solid game. In addition to that, they're getting Arian Foster back who, you know, was injured. I believe it was a hamstring issue. Um, so he's coming back. Who knows at what percentage he'll be at? Uh, but with that, that if he's able to play, he's able to go. He is a Pro Bowl running back who might be able to get something going. Uh, so it's definitely on us. We have to make it a, a point to make sure we stop the run and get in on those tackles. We can't be missing tackles like we did last game. In addition, on the offensive side of the ball, um, yeah, they have J.J. Watt, the best pass rusher in the league. Um, Jadavion Clowney, the most hype pass rusher coming in the league in years, but they're going up. JJ White, Jadavion Clowney are going up against the number one offensive line in the NFL when it comes to pass protection. That might sound crazy, but the offensive line has only allowed eight pressures all season. That's good for the first in the league. And by contrast, the last place team in the league, the Lions have allowed 51. So when you think about that that contrast, as much as we've talked about the offensive line, as much as A.V. said there's still some question marks on it, 
up to this point through three games, we have the number one offensive line in the league for pass protection. I can't say that enough. So that that's a real testament to them. So, I mean, with that being said, Watt's a future Hall of Famer. Clowney, who knows what, what's going to come from him. Eventually, his light's going to get turned on. So we're going to have to um, continue with our, our passing attack the way we have and, uh, you know, hope that we're able to contain Watt. But with that, I do see this as being a, a even easier win than I thought the Dallas game was going to be. Even though the Texans are healthy, relatively speaking, I still see them as an inferior team we'll be able to beat. Okay. So, uh, A.V., Kate has kind of said, you know, I know there's been some detractors of the offensive line. All all five of us, uh, of the Bird Brothers, have talked about the O-line, but he pointed out we're number one. I didn't realize that stat. Well, what, what do you think about <laughs> us being number one offensive line and playing against, you know, some Avonit pass rush with J.J. Watt? I mean, I think the offensive line has come a long way. Uh, I still go back to that game we all watched, the preseason game against the Dolphins, and just think about how differently things have looked for us and for the Dolphins, but that's another story. Uh, but it's just interesting. The offensive line has definitely come together as we've added pieces. The pieces are starting to work together. They're getting some good work in behind the scenes. Um, I think definitely it's going to be a challenge anytime you talk about J.J. Watt, uh, Jadavian Clowney from what he was doing when he was at South Carolina. It presents a unique challenge for the Falcons, um, so we'll see what happens. Uh, you're probably going to see a lot more uh, Levine Toy Lolo in there to help, um, you know, maybe chip or help pass block, depending on where they got Watt lining up. But um, I, I think this should be a game that favors the Falcons. I mean, even even if the Texans are able to get some pressure on Matt Ryan, um, I think you just have to look at overall. We, we're so much more skilled than them from an offense, offensive perspective. Um, you know what the Texans want to do on, on offense. They want to run the ball. Um, whether Arian Foster comes back or not, that's going to be their focus with either him or um, – the other running back blue. So they're going to want to run the ball a lot. Um, and I'm just reading up some of their information on them. They're going through some kicking issues. They just signed Nick Novak, released their kicker, Randy Bullock. So we, uh, I know Cadis was just talking recently about, you know, teams blowing games or missing field goals and missing extra points. And so you bring in a whole new kicker. So who knows how that might be for them as special teams where I think we have a decided advantage. So um, I think it should probably be a competitive game early on, but, I think this is a game um, where the Falcons will be able to impose their will, especially with the running game. I think the Falcons should get probably one of their easier wins of the year um, coming back home. All right, now Trent. Last week you said you want to be you wouldn't be happy if we didn't win by ten or more. We won by eleven uh, against the Cowboys, and you still weren't still you still weren't happy. <laughs> what will make T Little happy this week with the Falcons win? I know a win would make you happy, but what? Show of dominance will leave you satisfied after this week. I think uh, Kate has just brought it to everyone's attention. It's the offensive line. Like through these four games, like, through these, well, I'm counting this game, this Texans game also. So through these four games, we've been challenged in different, you know, what I'm saying different units. Like first week one, the Eagles, we um, they spread they spread our defense out, and we had to um, we we answered that challenge with the Giants. It was um, Odell Beckham. We answered that challenge, that challenge. The Cowboys, their offensive line, we've answered that challenge. The Texans, they're posing a different challenge they're, for our offensive line. You have J.J. Watt. You have Vince Wilfork. You have Jadavian Clowney. So that's a, it's a, a tough challenge for our offensive line, who is now number one in the NFL. And I also saw that um, we, we released Tyler Columbus. So 
it looks like Jake Long will be receiving some time in the near future. He might this might be his coming out party also. So I'm just looking for our honestly I'm looking for our offensive line to to dominate not to yeah to to hold JJ Watt. So hopefully like if if our offensive line holds JJ Watt or just main not only say hold him but just maintain him, then I know our our offense will um, lead us to the victory. Okay, so a strong offensive line performance. And I know you just mentioned the, the release of Tyler Columbus, uh, which really was a coinciding move because Jacob Tam may be out and Mickey Schuler was was signed and he's been on the team. Uh, he was on a practice squad in 2013. We brought him back, but he didn't make the final cut. So that's another thing we didn't mention was Jacob Tammy, I believe, may have a concussion. I'm not oh, sure yeah. of his exact injury. He did leave the game, so we're only carrying two tight ends. So Looks like it'll be Levine Toilolo and uh and Mickey Schuler getting some snaps. So Tammy is in the uh concussion protocol. So yeah. now let's let's do it real quick. Or if anybody has anything else to say before that, we're just gonna look at some predictions. But anybody else have any final thoughts before we get some scores? I just want to say, uh, how good does it feel to have a guy in Julio who is he is the best player in the league at his position. I don't remember the last time we could say that about a Falcon with with complete certainty that this guy for us is the best at his position in the league, period. Kate is so mentioned his favorite player. Have that guy on our scene. Kate has mentioned his favorite, his favorite player, Matt Bryant. Matt Bryant. <laughs> true. True. That is true. Matty Ice. But, but seriously, though, to, to piggyback off A.V.'s point, Julio went 12 for 164, and we barely have mentioned him. Like, when when a game of that magnitude seems like a normal day for a player, like, we, we, really, we really got something going on. So, Julio, again, that's, that's just absurd. And if we – the only thing I'm worried about is possible overuse. I would like to see us spread it around more get some more guys involved, but even with that, it seems like Julio, as long as he's on the field, even if he's hobbled, he was, you know, grabbing at his hamstring all game, but yet he was able to put up those numbers. So as long as he's on the field, even if he's only 75, 85%, he's still going to be dominating whoever's guarding him. I mean, just to piggyback, like Julio is receiving, like – crazy amount of national attention. I think I've read about five or six articles just today on how ridiculously good Julio is. So I, the only thing I, I hate about that is, like you, um, Kate just mentioned, is the, it's the injuries and the possibility of, like we've seen this, we went down this road before, and just how easy it is to have a, like an injury with, when he's being used so much. So I just, I mean, I feel like he can continue. Like if he's healthy, he's dominating. I don't care who's, who you have against him. How many people you put on him, he's going to dominate. But I just hope it doesn't um, result in any type of injury. One more big shout-out. Uh, Vic Beasley got his first sack officially um, on Sunday. So, shouts out to Vic. God. Second. Oh, second. second. Excuse me. Yeah, he got one He got one on Manning. Here's, yeah. here's a fact since you mentioned Beasley. Beasley has two sacks. Clowney still hasn't gotten one in his whole career. And it's Crazy. funny because when we drafted Beasley, I was like, I don't like to pick because I just I feel like all Clemson defensive ends are overrated. 
So right now he's proven different. I, I hope he continues it. So you're right. So you're right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, all right, Trent, go ahead and start it off, man. Give me a score prediction. All right. So we hit 38. I've been waiting for us to to get in, to hit the 30 mark. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a 35, 17. Cadis, what you got? I'm a I'm gonna be conservative. I'm gonna say 31, 21. I'll be conservative. 31-21. AV. I'm going to say pretty much the same thing. I'm going to say 31-17. I don't trust the Ryan Mallett-led football team, especially on the road. I think the Falcons get up early, uh, play some defense, and, and cruise to a comfortable win. So I got 31-17. All right, and I'll say 31-14. I'm thinking that'll be there. So we're all looking at us in the 30s, putting up some points. Hopefully that, that happens and we get the W. Everybody, please stay tuned for our Behind Enemy Lines episode that will come up on Thursday as we'll have a Texans fan on just like we did last week. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow us at BirdBros on Twitter. And definitely check us out on Thursday and check the website out, birdbros.wordpress.com. Thank you for listening. Have a great night. Peace.